Man, he is that lighthouse in that storm, amen. His disciples was called in the storm. Remember when we were going through Mark, they had told all night the Word of God says, and they weren't getting anywhere. And they looked out, and what they thought was a ghost ended up being their Savior. Amen. If we could grasp this morning how immense Jesus is, how big Jesus is, how important Jesus is. I know you say, Pastor, of course, Jesus, He's, he's important. But if we could grasp how intertangled we are with the importance of of Christ. It was said this morning in, in Sunday school that Christ truly loves us, that God loves us. John 3.16, He loved us so much that He laid His life down for us, and we praise God for that. But, but I, I fear sometimes in the midst of the struggle and the suffering of this world, we forget that He's waiting on us too. He hasn't Quit loving us. It's the complete opposite of that. The Word of God says that His mercies are new every day. His love never dwindles for us, but it is only compounded by the fact that we're just a day closer to be with Him. If we could understand this morning that at the end of this service, we're going to be that much closer to Christ. Not because of what was said, not because of you putting on your, your Sunday best and, and getting out here. Praise God for everybody that's here. I love having church with you. But it's because we're that much closer to heaven. Christ is waiting. He's beckoning us. Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Galatians. How many remembers last week? That was our introduction. How many remembers last week, Sunday night? That was also our introduction. How many remembers what I said the theme or the overarching theme of this book is going to be this book series? That Jesus is enough, right? So that's our title this morning. We're going to look at the first five verses and we're going to spend our time in the next couple weeks, uh, picking apart chapter 1 as we did, if you remember, in Mark, because it sets up the remainder of the five chapters. We won't be 16 months in this book, but we will be in it as long as God wills. Amen? So Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it reads like this, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Lord, as we break open Your Word, Lord, and we 
start this letter to the Galatians. Lord, I ask that You move upon us through this series, that You move in our hearts, Lord, that You turn our heads and our wheels to You and You alone, Lord. Help us to solidify the foundation of Christ that we are built upon, Lord, to, yes, edify us and to edify this church, but to go out boldly into the community and to proclaim Your Son's name, Lord, for we know that it is under one name that man is saved, and that name is Jesus the Christ. Lord, I ask this in Your name. Amen. Men. Jesus is enough. If you remember last week, I, I said that Galatians is written, this letter is written by Apostle Paul. We have him first. His, the very first word, the very first phrase is Paul, comma, an apostle. That's the greeting. That's the written part. But this letter is written differently from any of his other letters. And it's not even necessarily, he is very indignant. You're going to see this. It's, it's meant to be read uh, with passion because I don't think Paul was just saying, hey, uh, you know, verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, right? He's, he's very passionate at what he says, even in his greeting, even in just saying who he is. There's already there's already a parenthesis and there's some commentary here. And we're going to see this. And he sets this up. What is the important factor of these first five verses? And it isn't that it's Paul writing. It isn't that he's an apostle. But it is God the Father, along with Jesus our Christ, sending this letter to the Galatians. Paul is an ambassador, an apostle, capital A, we understand that. And He is a sent one, but not sent from men. Men did not send Paul to the Gentiles. He's not even through the agency of men. It wasn't something that he learned by a man. And then he said, this is some really good stuff. I need to, I need to bring this to the Gentiles. And we will see in chapter uh, 2, exactly where Paul gets his, his authority. Paul has authority that we don't have, right? He's, he's, he's one of the apostles. There was 12 given to the Jews, one given to the Gentiles, one standing up out of the 12, his name being Peter, being the mouthpiece to the Jews, and there's one that is called out to be the mouthpiece of the rest of the world. You think it would be the other way around that there should be 12 sent to the, to the Gentiles and one to the Jews because they've had the law for centuries now, but it's the opposite that we see. And Paul is writing this letter and he doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. When we read through Paul's letter to the Galatian church, we cannot help but to see that Paul is defending the gospel message. This is why he is so indignant, because to get this wrong, to try and build a foundation that is not Christ and Christ 
alone, the Word of God says that that foundation, although may it look solid, is sinking sand. And it cannot withstand the storms of life. It cannot withstand this life that we live in. If you are not seated firmly upon this foundation that is Christ, and Christ alone, listen to me, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And when we're talking about eternity, there's no room for failure. Now we do this imperfectly. We understand that. But why why be a Christian? Has anybody been asked that? Why are you the way that you are? Why, why Why do you believe the nonsense that's in that antique book? What answer do you give? Well, because I don't know any other way. Or, it's worked for me. No. It's because there is no other way. It's because if I don't adhere to the words of this antique book, then there's no hope for me. It's in Christ and Christ alone. There's apparently those who are challenging the gospel message that Paul proclaims. They declare that Paul's teaching is it's incomplete or at best insufficient, not in salvation. This is, this is where the, the waters start to get muddy. Those Judaizers that we see that come in after Paul leave, they're not saying that the churches in Galatia aren't brethren. They're not saying that they're not in the kingdom. They're just saying that you're not going to stay in the kingdom if you don't adhere to what we bring you. It's very dangerous to think that I can keep something that I never had. It's very dangerous to receive a gift and then to act as if I have created that gift. Richard Paul he got a four-wheeler over the weekend. Uh, not really. I purchased one so that we can, we can hunt. But he, was, he said there's a surprise at home, right? He, he was told there's a surprise at home. And uh, he's super smart. He already knows his father. And I've been talking about getting a four-wheeler. So the first thing out of his mouth was it's a four-wheeler. And his, his grandparents was like, you know, could be, could not be. And he said, well, well then it's a motorbike, Right? And his grandma went, no, it's definitely not a motorbike. So in his five-year-old brain, what's, what's as good or better than a four-wheeler? He said, well, it's a wife and a trailer. Out of the mouth of babes, that's what he said. If it's not a four-wheeler and it's not a motorbike, then it's a wife and a trailer. Because you gotta, you got to think of what, where he lives, right? We live, we live in this trailer. We've purchased some land. We live in this trailer. This is what we are. This is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about getting a double wide at the beginning of the year, and and if you don't think that your kids pick up at what you say and do at home, they pick up a lot. If you want to know just how sanctified you are, set your kid in a room with a stranger for for thirty minutes and let that stranger tell you about your life. And and let me tell you, you're not as holy as you think you are. That's that's pastor from a pastor's kid. He will tell you exactly what it's like living with your pastor. And guess what? I'm not God. I'm I'm fouled up. I have anger problems at times. I have 
buttons that get pressed. It, sometimes it feels like they're just they're just just hammering on it, right? They're, I'm down to my last nerve, and Richard Paul's swinging on that thing like the hunchback of Notre Dame, just just trying his best. And all, through all of that, Christ still loves me, and He loves me so much that He doesn't let me go so far as to sin totally. Be angry and sin not. Guess what? Failed at that this week. I did. I did it in front of them too. Brother Matt and Sister Denise, we're sitting there. Richard Paul, he ain't been he ain't been home a full day. He's been with his grandparents down south, and, and he ain't been home a full day. Gets a whipping. Just he's just being honorary. Needs correction, right? I fail. Christ never fails. See, if I put it up to me to keep something that I didn't have, I've lost it already. It's what Paul is going to show us, that there's, there's one true way to gain the kingdom. There's not a bunch of different ways that all lead to heaven. There is one way, and last week it was Christ, and that this week it's going to be Christ, and guess what? Next week that way is going to be Christ. He is the way. There's only one truth. That's Christ. He is the truth. There's only life in Him. There is death in everything else. For us, this letter will have a great impact on our life. This is my, this is my prayer for building our faith as, as we're going to learn that the gospel is, to learn what the gospel is, but more importantly, to learn what the gospel is is not. We'll learn from Paul what the Gospel means in our life. The Gospel isn't just salvation. Salvation grants you the ability to know the mystery that is the Gospel. To know fully the good news of Christ. See, it's very important to understand the way. It's very important to be spoken to in truth. It's very important to be presented the life. But if you don't know both sides of that this morning, if you don't know what death is and what life is, you're missing out. I know what death is. That was my whole life. That was my whole life. And guess what? It felt good. It felt right. It felt fine because I didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything else but there come a day in my life where I was shown something else. And guess what? i seen that light shone in the shadows of the deepest parts of my being. And what I found, I didn't like. I didn't like it. I hated it. You say you hated yourself? Every day. Apart from Christ, I loathe this flesh. It keeps me away from my God. Do you, under, do you understand? This is the Gospel. What we are is enmity against God. But in salvation, what we gain, what we gain, you go through this transition and it happens just like salvation like this. You go from death to life. You go from nothing to servant. From servant to friend. From friend to heir. And there's... 
There's no time in between. Okay, well, you're a servant if you work seven years like, like they did in the Old Testament. Then, then I'll call you friend. And, and if you're friend for long enough and you do enough things for me, right? If you, if you prove yourself to me, I'll, I'll make you an heir. No, from the very beginning. From the beginning, we're given the most incredible gift of being a priest, a ruler. Do you understand in Revelations, we're called rulers. We rule and reign with Christ. Me. Now. Right now. Not later. Now. Hmm. Do a word study on what ambassador is. That's a pretty big deal, even in today's government. That's, that's who you are now. Your fallible self, your sinful self, now, right now. If we can, if we can believe that, it's enough to believe. Like uh, brother Josh, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty good. He gets up here, he he lubricates them vocal cords. He gets that that guitar pumping just right. Yeah, yeah, he's an ambassador. Yeah, he works. In the community, right? For community coffee. He sees a lot of people. He, he spreads the gospel. He testifies about the conversations that he has. Praise God for Brother Josh. But, oh, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. The same spirit that drives Josh is the same spirit that drives you. Josh is, no offense, but no better than me. No better than you but the level that we've been put at. It's every bit of the definition of the word awesome. It's amazing. It's cool. This letter is going gonna, gonna to build up to this point in uh, Galatians 5 and 1 where we'll hear the wonderful declaration concerning what the Gospel has done for us. This is what the Gospel has done. Done. Galatians 5 and 1. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You're not a slave. You're not a robot. You're not a flesh puppet for the Spirit to manipulate. You're a changed creature. Don't yoke yourself up with the bondage that you have been freed from. Here's a summary and some themes. The summary of Paul's argument. Six chapters to basically say this, okay? Christ's death has brought in the age of the new covenant in which believers do not have to become Jews to follow the outward ceremonies of the Mosaic law. We can all say thank God. How many woke up this morning in time enough to eat a bacon sandwich or something? We don't... That doesn't separate us anymore. It used to. Okay? You would be found outside the camp if you even raised hogs. You didn't even have to eat them. You just had to raise an unclean thing and you couldn't go to the temple. Do you understand what that means? Under the old covenant, God was not with you. Now we can eat it and it's fine. Praise God. To require these things is to deny the heart of the gospel, which is justification by faith alone, not by obedience to the traditions of the law. In this new 
age, this new covenant, Christians are to live in the guidance and power of the Spirit. It's You're not doing this in your own self. At no point are you doing this by yourself. What a blessing! What a hope that I'm not left alone to figure this thing out. I'm left with instructions. And not only that, I'm left with a teacher. And not only that... I'm left with Him Himself. He's not just a teacher. He's the way maker. Eight themes that run through this letter. In His sin-bearing death, Christ is a substitute for all Christians whom He brings into a new realm of freedom and life. He doesn't leave us in the slop. This Gospel of Christ is for humanity. It is for us. Do you think that this applies to you? Are you a human? Yes, this applies for you. It comes only from God. The Gospel is appropriated not by works of the law, but by faith, which is the route to justification. To require circumcision or other Mosaic ceremonies such as dietary laws, Jewish holidays, as a supplement to faith, is to fall back from the realm of grace, faith, and freedom, and to come under the whole law and its curses. Since comprehensively observing of the law is impossible, the Bible says. Romans 1. We we can't do it. Old Testament Scripture itself testifies to the truth of justification by faith, both in the life of Abraham and in the prophecy of Habakkuk. The Christian life has its source in the believer having died with Christ to sin and thereby having renounced the flesh. Do you have things that hold you back today? Nod your head yes. Put that thing to death. Put it to death. Christ will help you. The Spirit is the source of power and guidance in the Christian life, and the work of the Spirit produces love and faith. And lastly, the Christian life consists not in pleasing people, but in pleasing Christ our Master and being willing to suffer persecution for the sake of His cross. So very quickly, I'll read over the five verses again and we'll see why Paul started off this letter so Christ-heavy. Because guess what, guys? The rest of the letter is Christ-heavy. Okay. He has, he, has, he has his woes. This I can't believe that you're doing this. This is how we fix it. This is how we apply it. And then he prays for them. That's, this, is the, this is the letter, okay? Paul, an apostle, not sent from men. He's, he, has started, he has started admonishing right here, okay? Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Christ Jesus the, and God the Father who raised Him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And then he starts... That wasn't even the start, guys. That was just, hey, this is me. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present age. From an age to come? This present age, okay? According to the will of the Father. Why can we boast in Christ? Why can we have hope? Why can in the midst of this world literally burning itself to the ground, I can say, God's got this because it's His will. It's, it's God's will to rescue us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. It's a truth. I believe it. Paul's amen in himself. Because he realizes that this letter, this is one of those messages, you know how we say amen or oh me? Yeah, they're not amen in right now. But Paul is going, is, is going ahead and affirming, and he says, even though this is cutting you, even though this is dividing your bone and your marrow, even though this is hopefully shredding everything that has been piled on top of you and Christ and your salvation, it's true. It's true. Who are these churches? Well, if you look through Acts, uh, there's this scene where the church has grown exponentially. So 3,000 is saved at Pentecost. That's 3,000 men if we apply the same math as we do to the feeding of the 5,000 and the 3,000. That's roughly six to 7,000 men and women and children are added to the kingdom at Pentecost. Just a few days later, there's 5,000 added. You add the math to that, and this is a huge mega church already in Jerusalem. And the 12 say, we need to appoint some people because there's too much going on for us to both receive and understand the Scripture and effectively help the church. So they call seven deacons, right? And one of those is Stephen. Stephen starts waiting tables. He's effectively the, the, the curator and the overseer of the food pantry for the church at Jerusalem. You say, well, that's, that's pretty cool, right? He's not a preacher. He's not a teacher. He's, he's not somebody in the limelight. And he's taking care of widows. He's taking care of the ones who have need. And also while he's doing this, he's witnessing and he's conducting miracles and healings is happening. And, and people start to understand that this Stephen guy is, is kind of a nuisance, right? So they bring him before the Sanhedrin and Stephen, a lay person, not a theologian, not one of the twelve, hasn't walked with Christ, lays out an Old Testament message starting in Exodus, working his way to what would really be revelation that hasn't even been written yet and telling them everywhere where Christ is and this Christ, this Messiah is the one that you just crucified and the Word of God says that they drug Him out and this man named Saul held the coats for those to stone Him. Flash forward a few chapters to about chapter 11 and we see the spreading of these people and it's very it's very detailed of why the people have been spread out. And it says, because of the persecution that started with Stephen. So Saul is persecuting a church 
so hard and so rapidly that they are dispersed out to the region of Galatia, where we have Antioch, where they're first called Christians. You have Lystra. You have Derby. Like all of these, these big churches. Like Antioch becomes the central church. It's not in Jerusalem. It's in Antioch. It's in Antioch where Saul, now Paul, is set aside for the furthering of the ministry. This same guy is now writing a letter, penning a letter to the same people. He's the reason they're there. Right? That is, it's amazing to me. Paul, to be so bold in, in spirit to go, what happened, happened. That's dead. Right? That's, Saul is dead. Do you understand that? Because of Christ. You are who you are, Paul is saying to the churches of Galatia, because of Christ. I don't care who you was before. It doesn't matter. What matters is who are you today? So guess what I am today? Paul, I'm an apostle. I was a murderer. Right? I was a persecutor. I was a thief. I'm an apostle. He writes this letter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So for us, how do we apply that? That Paul is an appointed apostle. He has authority. So what he says, it applies to us too, guys. And he says he's not because a man has called him, but it was from the command of God, Christ Himself. Other places in the Word of God, 1 Timothy 1 and 1, 2 Timothy 1 and 1, 1 Corinthians 1 and 1, 2 Corinthians 1 and 1. Just about all of his letters start off by saying that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not an apostle of Peter. Not an apostle by the twelve. Not an apostle because I heard this really cool message. An apostle because I was knocked to my back. Blinded for three days had letters in my hand to set the church on fire. God had other plans. God had other plans. In this letter to the Galatian church, Paul begins with Paul and an apostle. Not sent from men because he wasn't. He wasn't. When we go out as ambassadors into this world, do you believe that you're sent not because of Abundant Grace Church, not because of Scott Rambo, not because of your years of service, but you're sent out as an, a witness to Christ because Christ has sent you out? We need to start thinking like that. Doesn't do anything for the nerves, doesn't do anything for the nose, but you're boldened. Paul is called by God and he's given a message, right? Notice that Paul already begins to give part of the gospel message. This Jesus Christ who, who God raised from the dead, right? He's already setting the precedent. Then you have the churches at Galatia. The churches at Galatia would include the churches that Paul and Barnabas established in their first 
missionary journey. They're sent out from Antioch and all of these other churches that he's writing to is, is his, first, his first mission trip. Therefore, Paul needs to defend this gospel message. It's not a problem merely in one church, but it's a whole region of churches. It's a big deal. Verse 3 begins with a standard greeting in, in first century, grace and peace to you. I, I'm coming to you in love, in other words. I'm telling you this hard thing because I love you. And I want you to be in right standing with God. I want you to be effective in the ministry. I want you to be a church and not just a building, not just with people coming into the building, but I want you to be the church, right? To not quench the Spirit, to work in the gifts, to do that which God has commissioned us to do. See, Living under the bondage or putting on the yoke of slavery again doesn't really affect you as much as it affects the ones around you. Because I can get used to just about anything. I know what freedom is, but live under a yoke of bondage long enough and it's just another day. But what have we done to the ones around us who come in seeking Christ and they're given a, a booklet. Right? It's Christ plus this. Or Christ plus something. That's what they had fell into and Paul is trying to rectify this. Again, Paul inserts a portion of the Gospel even here. Look at verse 4. Who gave Himself, Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age according to the will of God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus gave Himself, which reminds us that this was a voluntary sacrifice. Christ wasn't made to do this. He said, what greater love does a man have than this one who lays his life down? No man killed Christ. He laid Himself down for us. It wasn't the nails as horrible as that was. It wasn't the thorns as horrible as that was. It wasn't the pulling of His beard. Those are physical things and every aspect of the cross had to happen the way that it happened. I take nothing away from the physical. But Christ died when He gave up the ghost. When He capital H, commended His Spirit back to the Father just as soon as everything was accomplished. See, Christ, just a few, few days before that, He's like, Lord, glorify Me. Father, glorify Me. Right? He's, he's quoted as saying, how much longer? How much longer do I need? I need to be here. The answer to that question is as long as He needed to be here. He wasn't here a second more than He needed to be. But every second counted. If He would have crawled off of that cross at any time before He said it was finished, guess what? It would be undone. It would be undone. So it's a voluntary 
thing. He gave Himself for our sins, which describes the purpose. The purpose of His voluntary sacrifice. He wasn't doing this just to please the Father, although it did please the Father to kill Him. He was doing this to prepare a way for a bride. Where we see in Revelation, remember we're looking at where we've been placed. In Revelation it says that the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit and the Bride say come. And if you look at the context of that, it's not so much calling Christ to come get us as it is calling and beckoning the world into this covenant. The Spirit, that's His job, beckons, leads, points to Christ. But the bride does that too. It's the Spirit and the bride. They say, come. The effect of giving of Himself was that we are delivered from this present age. Hell has no bound on us. Satan is, is defeated. Oh, he wars against us. <laughs> he wars against us, but he loses. The origin of this salvation is in the will of God. Immediately, Paul tells us that our, our good works, it's insufficient. That's where he starts. If this is what we're based in, if it's the finished work of Christ on the cross, where does that leave us? It's the finished work of Christ. It's faith in that work. It's belief in the Son. It's trust and hope in the words of Christ. It's faithful servitude because I want to. Not because I'm made to. Gospel message is not a message of being good enough to get to God. The gospel message isn't a message of performing certain external activities in hopes to change our internal being. How crazy is that to think that, that we can do that? If I just take communion enough, God will see me. Or if, if I just if I get a hundred people to come to church, then then I'll get a check in my box. It's not our will or our righteousness, but the will of God. Therefore, God gets the glory. Verse 5. God, to God be the glory. There's nothing in this about what we have done. Do you understand that? The only thing that we've done to contribute is the need for a Savior. The declaration is all about what God has done for us. The only description about us that we see in this description of the Gospel message is that we need to be delivered from this present age. I need deliverance. Guess what, church? I've been saved for a while. I still need deliverance. But by the glory of God, I've been delivered by a lot from a lot. Amen. We can't deliver ourselves. And we and we live right now in an evil age. So I need I need deliverance and I can't do it myself. So that leaves one way. 
Paul describes a powerful message, and we have not even read the body of the letter yet. Like we, could, we could literally preach the rest of the letter from the first five verses. It's Christ. He goes into a little more detail than that. We'll see. Paul establishes two key points right off the bat, right off the start of his letter. And, and we can stand as Brother Josh comes. One, first point. All that was my introduction. Here's the two points. <laughs> One, he was called out. Paul was called out and sent by God to give a message. And it wasn't a message from him. It was a message from God, right? It wasn't a message that he conducted, that he concocted, that he dreamed up. It was a message given to him by Christ for us. And two, that message was of Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. That message was of Jesus. Paul in his other letters said, I, I, don't, I didn't want to know nothing about you. I didn't preach anything to you save Christ, Him crucified and raised on the third day. Right? He wanted to make sure you get that. Then we can fellowship. Right? Then I can get to know you. Paul isn't a, against family. He isn't anti-fellowship. If anything, he is... He is all for fellowship to the point we'll see where he, he admonishes a fellow apostle because he's excluding people. So Paul isn't against not fellowshipping or not being in unity with one another. He's just saying none of that can happen if Christ isn't in the middle of it. Right? It's a pretty simple message. With these opening five verses, Paul aims to set these churches back to the truth that saved them. He's, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed of how quickly you've left that which saved you. That's next week. Everything that Paul has seen, everything that Paul will see, I would imagine it took a lot to amaze Paul. He's he seen Christ. A resurrected Christ. And yet this amazed him. He'll plead with them to remember what saved them and to, to walk in that truth. Don't stray. Don't stray from this. Amen? So that's my prayer this morning. First and foremost, if you have strayed, you can get back right. The most blessed privilege that we gain in salvation is the act of repentance. We can repent. We don't have to stay in our evil ways. We can repent. And that is, that is the beckoning, that is the calling that we see throughout the whole Bible. Come. Come. Grace is here for you. Come. I love you. Come. Come while you can. Come back to me. Shed the things that weigh you down and just be with me. Commune with me. Amen. My prayer is that we see that Jesus is enough. Not only is He enough, we, we think of Him as like military rations. Well, He'll just get us by. No, He's everything. 
He's the, he's the, he's the 18 course menu, right? He is the marriage supper of the lamb. You, under, you understand that, right? He was the manna in the wilderness. He's the water in the rock. He's, he's everything. He's what's got you here today. And guess what, church? He's what's going to keep you tomorrow. Even when I can't see it. Even when I'm almost the prayers that I've had with Him and me. The prayers have hurt. How could you allow this stuff to happen to me? I'll get off of that. He still loves me through all of that. He loves me even when I... Even when I almost shake my fist at him and say, why? 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 And he goes, I know. I know. Lord, I pray that we see you, O oh God, as who you truly are, Lord. First in our lives, Lord, set our lives straight. Lord, set our gaze back towards you, O oh God. Lord, and I pray for this church, Lord, as, as we get back in rightness with You, Lord, as we set our gaze back on You, Lord, help us to come into unity one with another and edify one another, to exhort one another, Lord, to even admonish at times if need be in love, Lord, and then let that love burst forth into this community. Lord, to show them that there is a more perfect way. Lord, and that way is You. Lord, I pray that this community in the days coming, Lord, that they don't see us, but they see You. Lord, that it'll be our mouth, it'll be our hands, it'll be our feet, but God, it'll be You. Lord, I thank You for what You've done, what You are already doing, Lord, and what You will do. Well, we ask all of this, Lord, and we thank You in Your name. Amen.